Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I just came up with a million dollar idea. What, what would that be? Well, I mean, it's it's a joke idea, but I'm sure that what when I say it, someone's going to use it. I think that someone should make an app called Mommy with an exclamation point. <laughs> and so if you need help with a problem that you should be able to solve yourself... You just open up the mommy app and a woman will show up and fix it for you. But you have to pay her. She has to get paid. Yes, you have to pay her. But it'll be like, you know, I can't find the cottage cheese in in my own refrigerator. You hit the mommy app and and some woman will show up. You're at work. You have a problem with something that it's not the job of your female coworker to fix. Hit the mommy app button. And actually pay a woman that you're asking to help. And you know what? There should just be surge pricing around certain times of the day. (laughs) Absolutely. There's definitely surge pricing on Thanksgiving morning when people are being sent to the grocery store to pick some stuff up and they can't find the condensed milk. You know, it is. Is it condensed? Is it evaporated? What's the difference? Ask I'm mommy. In the dairy, I'm in the dairy section and I can't find it. No, don't call your wife. <laughs> don't call your girlfriend. Don't call your female partner or your mom. <gasps> Hit the mommy button. Mommy. <laughs> and also, if someone fucking takes this idea and does something with it, like royalties to Aaron. We're coming for you. <laughs> we're, not, we're, com- we're coming. It'll be an uncalled mommy. A woman will show up and ruin your life if you use this. And if they do, somehow we will make sure that the sound mommy plays in their head all night long so they can never sleep again. I <laughs> know that's a curse. This week, we're joined by Megan Gailey, Caroline Reston, and Dr. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein to tackle the following questions. Is this really how Roe v. Wade ends? Just Supreme Court silence? Okay. Well, let's find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. So, Alyssa, I sound very tired this morning because I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm still in my nightgown. Are you wearing an apron over a nightgown? Yeah, dude, it's been a bad day. <laughs> Wait. An apron over a night. Do you have like a wee willy winky style cap that you put on like when oh yeah, okay. No, I've got like a I've got a Mrs. Hannigan headband on to go with it. <laughs> so like the more terrible the news gets for women, the more like trappings of domesticity you attach yeah, to your body. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. And oh I have slippers God. on too. Okay. I'm a house frau. I'm a house frau <laughs> dealing with very bad news. Yeah. So um yeah, I've been up since about 5.30 and it wasn't That's when like, we were emailing your time. Yeah, yeah. I've been up since about 5.30 because I am vexed. I'm troubled and everybody should be vexed and everybody should be troubled because on Tuesday night, uh, the Supreme Court did nothing and that said everything. Um, there was a law in Texas that was signed back in May by Governor Greg Abbott that banned abortions at six weeks gestation, which is effectively a ban on all abortions because most people don't know that they're pregnant when they're only at six weeks gestation. That's about a week and a half, two weeks after a missed period. It's not. It's nothing. N- nothing. Unless you're taking tests, you probably don't know. Unless you're taking tests or you're like clockwork every month, you probably don't know. So that that bill was signed back in May. It was always supposed to go into effect on September 1st. Uh, There were some challenges that kind of made their way through the courts. The Fifth Circuit, which is the level below the Supreme Court, issued a a, a bonkers ruling 
about this law. Um, And so it made its way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court was in a position to either block the law and you know, deal with it later, you know, block it for the time being, uh, or uphold the law. Uh, but what they did instead was kind of the most insulting possible path, which was they did nothing. Um, they watched Netflix. They, yeah, the, like Justice Breyer was binging the chair or something like that. Um, yeah. So Alyssa, you went to bed before this all went down. I think that a lot of people were kind of surprised by it. Can you talk us through like kind of how you've processed this whole thing? I mean, I woke up this morning to a text from you and I was like, where are my glasses? What is going on? And, you know, Aaron, we've been talking about this. We talked about it when Abbott first signed this law. We have tried to tell people, you know, we've been screaming that the house has been burning since the day you and I got together. Uh, to do this podcast. And I mean, do you think do you think now people finally fucking realize that the house is in fact on fucking fire? This is 2021 has seen more restrictive abortion laws uh, than any other year ever since Roe was passed in 1973. Um, most of them have not been able to go into effect. Okay, this is the first one that's going into effect today. This is happening in uh, in Texas right now. I yeah. think it's fucking fucked up, Aaron. And I think that you know what I, you know what my wish for today is. My wish for today is that uh, we see uh, President Biden get as angry about this as we uh, saw him get angry about people criticizing his withdrawal from Afghanistan. Yeah, you know what, Alyssa? I am fucking pissed at President Biden. I am just gonna to say it right now. Um, I'm really, really pissed. I'm really disappointed. I expected to be intermittently disappointed with him as somebody who is politically not aligned with him on every issue. But there have been some things that have been kind of pleasant upside surprises for me during the Biden administration. I think the American Families Plan is something to be really proud of. It's not perfect, but it's so much more than I expected from the Biden administration. The push, the push for paid family leave, which is, you know, right now in front of, I think, the Senate, and there's a real chance of it passing. And, and then that'll catch America up to where most countries were 30 years ago. Yay, USA. So those things are exciting. But like I, when I say that being a pro-choice woman is like the most important voting issue. I mean, holistically pro-choice. Totally I mean that I think that the government should not, I I think that people should be able to have the families they want to have. And I, and without government (laughs) interference one way or the other, I don't want systemic problems and inequality to force people to not have children because they can't afford it. I also don't want people who don't want to have children to be forced to have them because the government is making fucking zeality laws. Like a holistic pro-choice platform is one that protects the rights of all decisions that a person who is of reproductive status could make for themselves. And like, this is fucking bullshit. Everything falls apart if we don't get to decide when we get pregnant. Or if we stay pregnant, everything falls apart. We are on par with like fucking El Salvador in terms of women's rights. If we can't protect 
women's rights to have access to abortion when they need to have an abortion. It's, it is mind boggling. Like how many times I'm like putting my hands on my head in like a, a sports fan surrender Cobra. Like when a bad foul is called on your team, like with 10 seconds left, I'm like, I, I, I attest to this. Yeah. So how many times did Joe Biden promise to uphold Roe? How many times did he talk about how important it was to codify abortion rights at the federal level? How many times did he talk? He's talked about this so many times, and it's not like he didn't have warning that this was coming. We knew that this was coming on September 1st. Like you said, we knew that these states were introducing hundreds, literally hundreds of anti-abortion regulations this year. In June, the Supreme Court announced that it was going to listen to, uh, it was going to hear arguments in Dobbs versus the Jackson Women's Health Organization, which is a Mississippi case that directly challenges Roe. Joe Biden has no excuse. Like this did sneak up on a lot of people because it wasn't being covered very much in the news, which is a whole other issue. But like it should not have sneaked up on Joe Biden. There is no fucking excuse. I'm, I'm, I'm mad. There's a bee in my bonnet. The bee in your bonnet is rabid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is it. Like, I mean, and we know the Supreme Court doesn't come back until like October 5th or something like that. Um, So I guess women in Texas, I mean, also worth noting that this victory in air quotes uh, for the pro-life in air quotes people, um, this is going to galvanize the shit out of their movement. I mean, this is what they have been working their whole lives for to try to ban Roe, and they're like a step closer today. And Erin, the other reason that you and I have always had this be in our bonnet is because we know you live in California, I live in New York. We know that if these laws change, they don't really affect us, right? But like us what's personally, the, they, they, affect, personally, our, they correct. affect our country, correct. but not us personally. And so, I mean, if we're not shouting for the people who need us to be shouting for them the most, then, like, what are we even doing? Um, Which is kind of how I feel like the administration should feel right now. So I hope that we see – let's give benefit of the doubt here. I hope that we see some actions before you and I record again to help protect all the women in Texas who are probably – I mean, I'd – I don't know what I'd be doing right now if I lived in Texas. I know how I feel right now, and it's pretty fucking bad. It's it's really fucking bad. Last night uh, in a, a women's care clinic in, I don't remember which city it was in Texas, was reporting that they were providing care to patients right up until 11.59 p.m., mm-hmm. and outside of the clinic were people ready to start enforcing Fuck. the law. Let's talk really quick about the enforcement yep. piece. Um, this Texas law... Uh, enables, empowers. It's crazy. Any fucking person. (laughs) Citizen soldiers. To report somebody that they suspect either had an abortion or is aiding or abetting or enabling an abortion. You can sue somebody for up to $10,000 just as a regular ass Karen. You know, like you Mm -hmm. can just. So, you know, I've I've thought about this and like, you know, the the correct long-term remedy for this is court action or, uh, federally codified protection of abortion rights. Yep. Because we cannot count on the fucking slack-jawed, jowly zealots at the state level to protect fucking anything. Nope. Um, 
but you know, I think that on a on a day to day level, right now in Texas, anybody can report somebody for having an abortion. I really think we should. I am Spartacus. This, like we talked about on a different show, there are mechanisms in place where you can anonymously go online and report people for having abortions. So here, here's here's my long game. I want Governor Abbott to get sued for causing abortions. Uh, due to his negligence when it comes to public health and COVID-19. Any, I, I think that we can report Greg Abbott in, en masse. Go to, the, go to the anonymous sites, report Greg Abbott for causing abortions. Ca- report Mickey Mouse for causing abortions. Give them a stack of papers so high that there are no trees left west of Dallas. I, I mean, look, I think the trees will find it to be worth it. I think I, that's that's the only thing we can do right now is just like, clog the channels uh, and hope like you're hoping that the Biden administration does the right thing here. This, Aaron, we are hoping that the administration does something and we're hoping on witchcraft and jiggery pokery to fuck up Abbott and try to, (laughs) I mean, this is like, I don't even know. I don't even know. I wish, you know me, I normally have words. I don't really have words. Your words will have to stand for us because your words have been very good. I don't know. I'm really... I'm really crabby, and I have to go to Ikea after this, so um, my day is not going to get any better. I mean, I may stay in this robe with this apron all day. I mean, what else could you could put on a house coat? I'm trying to think like how you know many- I have a, you know I have a house coat. <laughs> oh, of course, I'm sure it's very cozy, but I'm just trying to imagine like how many more levels of like feminist alarm could you possibly display? Let's just say the feminist alarm, is it a, is it a lands of Salzburg level? Okay. My <laughs> shit. It's not just house coats. They're Bavarian house coats. That oh is how God. much support I need today in the form of clothing. Oh my God. Um, Bring out the Alporn and alert. <laughs> <laughs> We're not laughing because we think it's funny. We're laughing because it's so sad. Yeah. It sucks and it's bad. Uh, but hopefully by the time we record again in a week, we will have some productive, some constructive news on this front. Um, or at the very least, you know, we'll have some some peep from the Supreme Court. We'll see. Um, I'm not feeling optimistic about it, but I do feel better that I was able to get some of my rage out into a microphone. I agree. I agree. It always works for us when we can be face-to-face when shit really hits the fan. Yeah. And uh, one one quick thing before we go, just real quick, uh, fuck Susan Collins. Fuck Susan. Oh, it's settled law, Collins. Ugh. I tattoo settled law across my ass. That's how I feel right now. Okay. On that note. On that note, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to get you to the show that we pre-recorded. Um, so we hope that you're able to maybe unplug from the stress of what's been going on and just kind of disengage with some reality TV talk. Okay, we'll be right back. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I love or, that for Viore. Is that, you know what? That seems like a real perk of Viore. <laughs> it is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. 
It's great. <laughs> five the, stars. No comment. 100% great. That's the type that's my favorite sport. The new the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit. All things that are absolutely essential in a legging. Essential. Uh, I love these leggings. They are cuz you know like not everybody's the same. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like I need a little bit more room around my booty. So I size up a little bit, but then it's usually too big in my waist. And so now I just, just pull that drawstring and I don't show, I don't show any crack when I bend over. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. See, you have your baby and I have my butt crack. (laughs) (laughs) For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to. Won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discuss Cover the versatility of Viore clothing. Alyssa, I have a stupid question for you. Um, Would we have had President Trump if reality TV didn't exist? Oh, goodness. I mean, here's the thing. He wasn't even like good reality television. So I'm not sure if if it's cause and effect. But I mean, the problem is there were a lot of a lot of Americans who thought that he was a good businessman. And that's what America needed. So Aaron, I would feel complicit if I were to say yes, that reality television gave us Donald Trump as president, but it, it might be the case. Hmm. I think that we have a tendency to blame whatever is new in our culture for the problems of our culture. In reality, it's something deeper. Because I think that America has always been a great place for charlatans to rise and um, people selling miracle cures and carnival barkers and stuff. And they definitely predated reality TV. Like there were fraudsters and hucksters before reality TV. So I don't have to go to sleep tonight watching Bachelor in Paradise feeling complicit for the state of our country. No, but what you should do is think about the most annoying person on the cast and imagine them as the president because it could happen. Fuck. I mean, like, yeah, it's kind of been ruined, but now it's really ruined. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look, reality TV. So we're we're going to talk about reality TV today on this very special holiday week episode, um, because we all have participated in this part of culture that is no longer fringe. It's no longer niche. It's very mainstream. And it's so mainstream that it influences political events. Um, so, you know, I was just thinking I was researching reality TV like and where are they now type situations. And, you know, without the real world, the original reality TV show, 
Um, we wouldn't have had former Wisconsin representative Sean Duffy. Um, and we wouldn't have had his awful wife, Rachel Campos Duffy. That's true. She was what? Real world San Francisco? She was real world San Francisco. And she was the one that was like with Puck. You think Puck haunts her dreams? I don't know. I mean, I think everybody has a really terrible ex that they're like still mad about. But that would be a... I would feel good about that if Rachel Campos <laughs> Duffy were haunted by Puck. But, you know, like Elizabeth Hasselbeck, remember? Oh, Elizabeth right. Ha- she was, well, was she Survivor? She was on Survivor. She was like the, so look, we're in the Meghan McCain era of The View or it's coming to an end. Yeah, it's, um, it, it ended. Yeah, it came to an end. Um, the Meghan McCain era of The View got a lot of attention because there's a lot of fighting, you know? And and there was Meghan who kind of put herself out there as somebody who wasn't afraid to sort of be the person that everyone got mad about and went viral for saying things that made a lot of people mad. Elizabeth Hasselbeck, guys, like, if you weren't paying attention to The View if between, like, 2007 yeah, yeah. And 2011, it was like the best era of The View. Those women did not stop fighting, and it it was so good. Well, it was it was also you know the difference back then is that it wasn't like the fights weren't intended to go viral. They were really what they thought. It wasn't like people thinking of things that would stoke the audience and become like you know fifteen thousand retweets on Twitter. They were just like saying their true thoughts. Yeah, they were just going at each other. And like, the thing is, that's a question that I also have in thinking about reality TV because the word reality doesn't quite... It's not exactly true. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't quite fit because what we're seeing on TV is manipulated by producers who sort of act as these like God figures who control the universe of of the reality show. And... You know, we never really see the producers unless the producers have affairs with members of the cast, which has happened before. Or have to, like, physically intervene. (laughs) Yeah, or have to physically intervene. Um, And uh, we never really see them. But, you know, what what we're seeing on TV isn't necessarily real. And it's sort of, I think the trick, the, like, sleight of hand can be a little bit, like, dangerous. I agree. I mean, when you think back, so the real, the original real world was like my fucking heyday. It came out, I think, in 1992, mm-hmm. real world New York. I was in 10th grade, right? That show was probably the realest it ever was. Like they had real jobs. Remember Eric and like, actually, I just remember Eric. I remember what they all looked, Andre. They all looked like normal people. They hadn't been styled. It doesn't look like they prepped themselves to get ready for six months to be on the show. They wore normal people clothes. They had real problems. It was like, maybe that was too much for the world to take. Because after San Francisco, it started getting a lot more scripted for controversy. Mm. See, I was too young in 1992 to uh, watch the real world. Plus, at my house, we couldn't even get cable because- Oh, we didn't have cable. I had to go to a friend's. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) Um, But I was reading about that show, The Original Real World, and apparently it was inspired by a documentary from 1973 called The American Family. And Melrose Place and Beverly Hills 90210, the production team had originally- wanted to do a scripted show that was sort of along those lines for MTV. But then they were like, ah, too expensive. We don't want to pay writers. So what they did instead um, was they got a 4,000 square foot duplex in Soho. They had like 
500 people apply for seven spots. So they cast seven strangers. And um, each of the people who got cast, so like Eric Nyes, I think there's a guy named Kevin right. who is now like a, oh, yeah. po- a poet and a po- politician. Um, they each got paid $2,600 for the time on the show. And the show taping went from like February to May. $2,600 was all they made for that amount of time being on the show, which is I crazy. Mean, and there was real controversy. The LaGuardia Place Grand Union was a real, uh, when I finally moved to New York City, like a couple of years later, I was like, oh, this is the real world Grand Union. Yeah. Um, when we got cable, I think it was in probably 1997 or something like that. I think that they were on the real world, either Boston, which was the one that had Sean Duffy on it. Oh, or, right. Or it was Seattle, which was a lot of reality fans agree. Seattle was like among the best real world seasons. Like San Francisco was the most um, culturally impactful. Because at that point they had kind of figured out their stride and they had uh, Pedro Zamora on there who was HIV positive and and living with uh, his HIV status. And so it was a lot of Americans first exposure to a person, like a real person that they felt like they knew who had HIV. Um, But Seattle was when shit started going wild. That was when Irene had Lyme disease. Yes. That was when yes. she she outed her fellow cast member, Stephen, on TV, and they aired it, and then he slapped her. Like, I was going to say I remembered her getting hit, but I couldn't remember why. Yeah, she she said, um, she, she said, Stephen, you're a homosexual, and then he ran out to the cab and slapped her. Um, and they aired that. They, they, like, aired a person being outed, which is crazy to me. But I was watching then, and I remember being, like, an impressionable, like, tween or teen and thinking this was really how people in their early 20s acted. (laughs) I was like, this is what it's going to be like when I'm, you know, 19 years old and feel like I know everything about the world. And I've seen clips now as an adult, and the thing I want to yell at the TV is, what do you know about life? (laughs) (laughs) Um... So that's kind of where I am with the real world. Um, but, you know, I think just to kind of bring this around, I think the reason that it's important for us to talk about this is like these like pieces of culture were super influential to a lot of people individually and then also to us collectively um, and also, you know, to our politics, to our the current way that news is portrayed, the current way that um, journalism is packaged, like for-profit journalism is packaged and sold to us as sort of like a reality TV with a plot and heroes and villains. And I think that understanding it and talking about it in an intelligent way is is a worthy pursuit, especially on a week when it's a holiday and we don't want to record a new episode. And maybe now I won't have to keep answering people on Twitter who are like, Alyssa, I expected more of you, or you're better than this when I comment on social media about my shows. No, I'm not. I'm here to say it. Uh, But here's the thing. We're not better than this. Nobody is. This is a part of all of our cultural DNA, whether or not you like it. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we have a supersized panel to talk intelligently about a part of culture that many people consider stupid. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
And welcome back. As promised, we are going to continue our conversation about reality TV, but this time we've included three women who are here for the right reasons. Let's put it like that. (laughs) Um, First, she is a writer and host of I Love a Lifetime movie, Megan Gailey. Hi, and I'm here to make friends. You are here to make friends. I am here to make friends. (laughs) That's that's great. For the right reasons and here to make friends. This is a show about making friends. (laughs) Um, Up next, she is the producer of this show and... Basically, I mean, if you could just get a PhD from absorbing reality TV (laughs) knowledge, uh, she would have one. It's Caroline Rustin. My God, I'm so excited to be on the podcast. Um, I really feel like if I was a journalist, that reality TV would be like my beat. Like, is that a beat for (laughs) Mm -hmm. writers? Like, Mm -hmm. it would be my beat. Mm -hmm. It's all I know. I think that that's fine. A lot of people like reality TV and people want to know about what's going on behind the scenes. Like, reality Steve... I used to read Reality Steve a lot. Um, Me too. <laughs> I, I never wanted the spoilers. I couldn't do it. Oh, I kind of like the spoilers because I like to kind of note how the show was being edited leading up to what was going to happen because, like, the manipulation is so interesting to me. Anyway, um, and finally, she is a theoretical astrophysicist who is here to talk about trash. Dr. John prescott <laughs> weinstein Hi, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Super excited to get tenure by being on this show talking about reality <laughs> TV. Um, Chanda, I want to start with you. Um, what is the first reality show that you remember watching and being obsessed with? And like, how old were you and what was your relationship with that show? I mean, the real world. Which, I which mean, season? <laughs> oh, I, I started watching, I've been watching MTV since I was three years old, since 1985, <laughs> right? So when the real world came on, I was like, oh, it's this new thing MTV is doing. So I watched the original, the first season in New York, which also means that I religiously watched the, the reboot of the New York cast that was just on Paramount Plus a couple of months ago. Um, oh, and it was totally novel. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, would you rush home from school to watch it? Like you would have been so like nine or 10 when it was airing. I can't remember if it started before my 10th birthday. I think it started before my 10th birthday. So definitely it was one of those things that I was catching episodes when, when I, when I saw them, um, I didn't have the option of like rushing home from school for it or anything like that, but mm-hmm. I definitely knew who everybody was. I had opinions about things. Um, I grew up in a very queer friend, friendly household, and so like you know some of those debates that they were having, and also, um, I had just lived through the Los Angeles uprising, and so um, some of the the stuff that Kevin Powell was talking about, for example, was like my world essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there a, a year? So you started watching in New York when it was like realer than it currently is. Uh, was there a season where you sort of? fell off of the real world or do you continue to watch new seasons that are being made there are definitely some of the later seasons i haven't seen i would say was it miami where things was that the season where they were supposed to start a business and then yes. like, they kind of oh. yeah that didn't that season didn't go well and and i think that was like the really the first time that like mtv tried to get into the gimmick of let's give them something to do as opposed to let's pick people who are doing things with their lives, which I think is what made the original real world actually really interesting, is that they were taking people who were ambitious for their lives in some way, 
and putting them together to kind of see those ambitions interact um, conflict in different ways. I think like, you know, the San Francisco season changed the world. Mm -hmm. Pedro changed the world, even in letting us like view his, his journey. I think it was really, it was a very important thing, I think. And, and everybody talks about that, right? And then you kind of have this like downward slide into start a business together. You guys have no clue what you're doing. Oh, the last episode, you sort of have something up and running, but you're also all leaving and now hate each other. (laughs) Miami does have an amazing sex shower scene, though. I do have to I do have to circle back and say that was maybe one of the first sex scenes I'd ever seen on television. Who was like the biggest star from Miami? I'm not remembering anyone on that one. I'm looking it up. There was a woman, I believe, named Flora, who yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah. Flora. Really? She was very, she was always fighting. Yeah, she was really confrontational, but like oh, yeah, when remember. Flora came on screen, you're like, all right, here's Flora. Like, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, Megan, do you have memory of the first reality show that you were addicted to? Mine was also the real world. Um, it was basically the MTV slate. I, when the Osbournes came out, I was so fascinated. And that was the time in reality TV where you could still see the cameramen. Like you were still kind of like peeking behind the curtain because they didn't know how to fully produce it. And I remember them like throwing stuff over their mansion wall at their neighbors. And it was just like, oh my God, we're watching these rich, famous, people fight with their neighbors in real time almost um and yeah mtv was i started watching it at a very 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 young age (laughs) too young probably (laughs) well you kind of bring us into an era like once reality tv started kind of proliferating it on mtv vh1 like the viacom slate of channels um when i was researching this show I was like reading a lot about the sort of like Wild West days of reality Mm -hmm. TV because there was like the real world and that kind of was dominant. And then there was like the Osbournes, which kind of ushered in this era of like, we got to like flavor of love, rock Mm -hmm. of love, tequila tequila doing a double shot at love, Jersey Mm -hmm. Shore. Like there was this period of time where it was very irresponsible. Like the real world- There was someone who died on the rock of love tour bus season and they were like well we're gonna keep going uh-huh. like mm-hmm. the fact that they if you've ever watched rewatch rock of love which i recently have it's like <laughs> disgusting like it's it's like i'm like clutching my pearls and i've seen a lot of shit like it's it is tough to watch like he's just like oh yeah i just had a threesome and then like 10 minutes later he's like oh yeah this girl just gave me a blow job i'm like this is happening on it was just something you would never see on like any dating reality show now like it was anything goes then it was it's really upsetting (laughs) it was really upsetting to rewatch I have to say that a lot of the shows that you all are talking about like sort of the later MTV slide I missed because I went to college and didn't have we didn't have we didn't have TV at Harvard like we literally (laughs) just like didn't have TV and so I came home like in the middle of my sophomore year and went to like a fundraiser that Amy Mann and the Red Hot Chili Peppers were performing at called Silver Lining Silver Lake or something like that. And there was some guy who came on stage and like took a light bulb and broke it and then started chewing up the pieces of it and was like Mm. drinking whiskey 
Um, and he like pulled his pants down and he was like swallowing broken light bulb and everybody was yelling, Steve-o, Steve-o. <laughs> and I had like no clue who the fuck this dude was, but I thought there was something deeply not okay. And that was sort of my introduction to this is what MTV is now. And it was like, oh my God. Like, yeah, that was like the irresponsible era of reality TV where it's like somebody is going to get hurt. If they're not getting hurt, on air they're gonna get hurt off air like Alyssa did you ever watch uh, did you watch any of the Rock of Love shows no 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 that wow. was not my genre oh, okay wow okay so there was Alyssa you need to watch Rock of Love I feel like I don't one. I feel like I don't I know a person that was on it like that's how deep in the Rock of Love universe <laughs> I'm a part of <laughs> oh my gosh wow well I hope it wasn't Megan from Megan Wants a Millionaire because no. that show did not go um, well um no but I did watch Joe um Joe Millionaire and that really the slurp you know like that was sort of sex I learned about a lot of sexual things from reality TV, like blowjobs and such. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Joe Millionaire, when I was in college, we would have people over to our dorm. We lived, I lived in like an old dorm that had like these kind of quirky rooms in the corners. Um, And we lived, we had one of the corner rooms that had like a big living room area. And we would have all the girls in our section come into our room and watch Joe Millionaire on Monday nights. And like, do you remember that show, everybody? Oh, yeah. That's the one where he's like, they tell the contestants he's a millionaire. They're like, right. he's rich. And then the twist yeah, is, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. poor. <laughs> he's <laughs> poor and everyone. It right. was that, Um, there was an era where there was like trickery reality. Mm-hmm, um, right. and, it, and it fell into that. And yeah, a girl gave him a blowjob in the woods and there was closed captioning of slurp. Mm-hmm. That was a big, that was a big bone. So gross. <laughs> Weren't they just basically preparing people to go out and catfish? Like, are they producing catfishing <laughs> by wow. having these kinds of shows it's almost like they planned catfish to happen later right right (laughs) because they did have eventually they had i want to marry harry which was i think the last oh yeah that is that was a somewhat recent one which is shocking because you know the internet yeah how who's 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 like oh my god prince harry is going on a vh1 reality show (laughs) really pivoting (laughs) yeah there's something about that era of reality tv that felt like it really leaned into the like misogyny of the culture at the time and the racism mm-hmm. of the culture at the time. Like Flavor of Love was something that people watched as like entertain like the- <laughs> like theater, like look at these ridiculous people, isn't it funny? And part of the reason why they thought it was funny and ridiculous was because of who these people were and what they looked like and how they acted. And it felt very like exploitative. But now we're sort of in an era where it feels like you know, I don't really watch reality TV unless you call the news reality TV, um, which you could make a case it is. that it kind of is. Yeah. It's produced to to get people to pay attention to it for as long as possible. And it sort of tries to shape a narrative out of something that's formless. But um, Alyssa, I feel like now reality TV, like the shows that you watch, like 90 Day mm. Fiance and stuff, are mm. a little bit mm. more about, it's kind of gone back to showing us something that people can't really see in their ordinary lives. So can you like explain the appeal of 90 Day Fiance and the shows that seem matrimony based that that you watch? I love them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so 
Well, like, look, there's 90 Day Fiance, there's 90 Day Fiance the other way, there's 90 Day Fiance heavily ever, happily ever after. I love them all. And the premise is basically that you have these people who fell in love and one of them does not live in the United States. And so it's, does the American go live abroad? Does the person who's not American try to get to American on the K-1 visa? Now, one of the interesting things about the last few seasons, I would say, is that despite everybody's issues getting to America, no one was mad about Trump. Like, I don't know if they edited all the talk out. We had a like, Trump no fan. Way. Yeah, there, but yes. I, Angela, and a black Trump yeah. fan, too. Angela and Michael. Michael yes. loved Trump. Michael didn't <laughs> yeah, live in America. Yeah. And everything that he knew was based on The Apprentice, and he had read all the books. So, But either way, when Angela is with the immigration attorney and she's just screaming mad about everything, I was like, how is she not mad at Trump? Mm -hmm. But anyway, I love that. I love Married at First Sight, Mm -hmm. a Lifetime special, Mm -hmm. which is like people who sign up to be matched by matchmakers and get married and they've never met each other before. I love that one. What's crazy really quick about Married at First Sight is that like 90 Day Fiance, it's like the kind of person who goes on that show you kind of get. But Married at First Sight, the kind of person who goes on that show is like seemingly like a normal 20, 30-something-year-old. like the gambit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just shocking that there are so many people who are willing to agree to just get married at first sight who are like, quote, people you wouldn't ordinarily see on reality TV are going on this show. You know, and the thing that I like, too, about 90 Day Fiance is that you would think and be wary that the premise is just all of these people who will do whatever they can to get to America and that everybody just wants a green card. And that is like the opposite kind of of what's going on with this show. There is one, one of my all-time faves, Yara, current season, who is like, what is so great about America? You're awful. I want to go home. I was like, girl, sing it. Yeah. I will say the, the my favorite thing about Happily Ever After is none of those couples are happy. Like they are, they like all none. seem so miserable. I'm like, the why are you together? This seems so like, I'm really painful. excited for the next season because the people who really hated each other seem to all be have, have made this next season. So I'm mm-hmm. very excited. Oh, great. Um, Dr. Prescott Weinstein. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I saw you tweeting about this and I'm really curious to hear your expanded thoughts. I think something that's kind of woven into American reality TV is this assumption of monogamy. And there are so many shows that show people struggling with monogamy or having difficulty like emotionally with being in a monogamous situation where they're forced to like stretch the limits of what that means. Like, what do you see the role of monogamy as in American reality TV? And like, does it vary when you watch reality TV in other countries? So the Bachelor franchise, we have to talk about the Bachelor franchise because it is our great like polyamorous TV franchise. <laughs> like the entire premise of it is that someone is polyamorous <laughs> for like a couple months, right? And then ultimately like the goal is monogamy or whatever. Have your fun if that's your thing. But like in the meantime, they're supposed to maintain this pretense of even in the in the last season of The Bachelorette, there's like a whole drama with Katie and and mm. one of and and the guy that seems like he's probably the one that she's going to end up with and he's like, "I love you. You've changed my life." And she basically sort of, I don't know, I'm going to make enemies here. She just kind of she handles it badly. She kind of stares at him mm. and is a little bit cold. 
And she's like, look, basically, I'm on this TV show. My job on this TV show is to not just be committed to you, but to be committed to all of these people right now. Um, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, this franchise markets itself to what people like to call middle, like the real America, like conservative um, middle Americans who are church going mm -hmm. and who believe in the fairy tale romance that definitely, um, the, the last bachelor talked about his faith and like the first meeting he had with all of the, the contestants, competitors. Um, this is like a faith oriented, wholesome family program that just happens to have people who are dating like 20 people at the same time and having mm -hmm. sex with some of them once it gets down to like five or so. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, there's a lot to unpack there about American Puritanism and hypocrisy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I totally agree and I'm fascinated by it. I saw, um, I think you sent me this tweet, uh, Chanda. Um, they that basically like non-monogamous people would have better emotional coping mechanisms mm, for dealing mm -hmm. with being in a situation yes. like that. Mm -hmm. um, are I, there, I oh, think, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I think so much of the drama on the show is driven by the stories that we are told about how we are supposed to relate to people through monogamy. Mm -hmm. And so even if you look at like, um, the season of Married at, First, Married at First Sight Australia that just recently aired in the U.S., which actually oh, so good. is a newer... Such season. higher production value. The, the, oh, my goodness. The amount it's of beyond. Botox, plastic surgery, fillers. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a different scene. But, like, nicer American. hotels for their honeymoon. The, the hotel, <laughs> yeah. The whole thing. But we had people on the show who were like, actually, I think that other person's like husband, wife is more interesting to me. So I think I'm just going to do a little bit of switcherooing. Wow. And it's easier to get away with this. I'm putting easier in air quotes because in the U.S. they actually make the couples get married. In Australia, they don't actually legally get married. Um, right. oh, but there's this whole good. dynamic of like putting someone in, putting all of these people in the room purposefully to be like, yeah, everybody's kind of like busting out of their dresses and, and all mm -hmm. of these things are happening, but also monogamous with the person who you don't even know and may not even like. There's mm -hmm. something so weird about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was my, one of my favorite, you know, like monogamy non-moments was when the bachelor had put forward, you know, Hannah Beast as this Southern proper mm -hmm. beauty queen. And what we got by the end of the season was a woman screaming, I had sex and Jesus still loves me. <laughs> and I was like, did they, is this a, re is this a rebuke of Trump's America? Like what is going on? They thought that she was just this prim and proper and she was not, and I wrote a whole essay about her feminism. <laughs> yes. Um, Megan, you are a big Love Island fan. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I've noticed when I watched Love Island, they have a totally different attitude toward monogamy. Like, mm -hmm. have you noticed that as well? Do you think they're more emotionally mature on that show? Like, um, I wouldn't call them emotionally mature because some of the men are behave like children. But I do <laughs> think they're going into it. It's kind of, it, it's very Bachelor in Paradise. It's like, listen, there's a bunch of us. 
hopefully we find somebody, but if we switcheroo, we're going to be jumping beds. I'm going to make out with this person and then make out with this person. And all we need to do is just be open and honest about it. So they'll be like, can I pull you for a chat? And when you go for a chat, it's basically, you're going to find out I like you or I don't like you. And I want to make out with someone else. And (laughs) that just doesn't like, they will have conversations that I'm like, oh my God, I wouldn't even feel comfortable like saying these things to my husband. Like, and, and, and I don't know if that's because they've just watched it or, or if it's the UK, but they really are, they put their emotions out there and they're not afraid of being kind of voted off. Like that's in the back of their mind, but most of the people there are kind of, they're trying to find love. And what I do like about it, The Bachelor, it's like, these people are like, I want to settle down. And it's like, you're 24. Fuck off. You don't need to settle down. That's insane. And UK, they're just like, I want to see if I can find someone and this will work in the outside world. Mm-hmm. And that is really kind of all you would want. So like, you don't need to be getting engaged at 25. I, I know that they're due, but that's very Christian sounding to me. And it's just couples that go out. Maybe they date in the real world for a year. And then they find people because they've been on the show that maybe they're more compatible with. And, and and that's sort of like the beauty of what makes that one feel less terrible, I think. Yeah. <laughs> they all really respect each other on mm-hmm. that show in a way that you see on like no other reality dating show. Like if mm-hmm. they're going to steal your man, they're going to pull you for a chat and be like, now, like our relationship is so important, but I'm going to now date your boyfriend. Yeah. But I feel like this is really important. So like, I still want to be good friends. But not even but I date. Will take your They're man. like, I'm just going to start flirting with your boyfriend. Like, <laughs> it's like, he may not like me, but I am going to crack on with him. And they're like, okay, great. And then they make each other avocado toast and tea and just like go about their day. Well, here's the thing. Like, I think that's more realistic to the reality of how high the stakes are when you're out there dating. They're, the mm-hmm. stakes are not high and Uh like the wedding industrial complex the like disney princess romance complex i think that especially young women are sold is that the stakes are high you have to go into every relationship thinking that this might be the one that there is such thing as the one that a successful relationship is one that lasts forever and a failed one is one that doesn't when reality Uh it's like the stakes are not really that high you're going to change throughout your life you're probably going to meet somebody else that could also make you happy. It's okay to not be happy with the person you're with and to want to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Caroline, I want to ask you this. I'm sure you've thought about this, but as a connoisseur of reality TV, what makes good reality TV and what makes unwatchable reality TV? And is good reality TV, uh, d- is good synonymous with watchable or high quality? Mm. Wow. Well, I think what makes good reality TV are good characters, like, first and foremost, before even a premise. Like, The Bachelor, like, the premise is, like, kind of lame. But if there's, like, a really good character who comes out of it, you're watching because that person's so compelling. And, like, to me, what I think is, like, a really compelling character is someone who is legitimately funny, even if it's, like, they're not intending to be funny. Like, they're (laughs) saying funny things. Like, I'm thinking of, like, Housewives Naturally is my – who I'm thinking of as, like, the perfect – Um, reality character like someone who's naturally funny someone who's extremely delusional Mm -hmm. but just (laughs) self-aware enough that they're watchable (laughs) and I think having a cast of characters like that makes a show really good Um, and something that makes something like truly unwatchable are just like 
I mean, it's kind of watching shows from like reality shows from the 90s where it's like it's just people fighting with no personalities um, like and there is no like there is just no real like tension other than we're getting drunk and fighting like that's not really what reality TV is anymore. Also, what makes really hard what makes something unwatchable is if you watch an old early 2000s reality show, the SD on it is so hard for my eyeballs to look at. I was watching the rewatching a first season of New York Housewives and I was like, oh, this is unwatchable, not because the show's not good, but because the quality itself is terrible. That's why I don't watch the show. That's actually why yeah. I don't watch the show because I couldn't get through season one and I am a completionist. I either have to start from <laughs> wow. the beginning or it's not happening. So I will never watch Real Housewives of New York because of SD. Oh, you're missing out. <laughs> you are missing out though. That one I would say like plow through those first three seasons that are hard to look at. I, um, I, I have to add to what Caroline's saying too is like I think viewers have gotten a lot savvier and there's so mm. many books. There's so many op-eds. There's so many recaps it's like we've seen unreal we know what happens behind the scenes of the bachelor now and so if we can see the wheels if we can see the producers fingerprints on stuff that really turns me off and i know it's Mm -hmm. happening but it's like we work in the biz you gotta give me a little smoke and mirrors like if i think a housewife is reciting a line in a testimonial that like a funnier gay man gave to her it it pisses (laughs) me i'm like luann didn't write that. I just want Luann to talk as Luann. I don't want her to be saying sound bites that didn't make it into her bad cabaret show. <laughs> wow, okay. Bad cabaret show. Well, I haven't seen it, but that's just what I feel. <laughs> I, I think on this question of, like, bad reality TV, I want to understand why F-Boy Island is so boring. Has anybody else watched oh, it? I haven't. I, have I, love I, haven't Nikki, I love Nikki Glazer. I want it to be good, but... <laughs> We, I mean, first of all, I have questions like, why isn't it called Fuckboy Island? Like, it's that's HBO. What, that's what yeah. bothered me. That's It's like, don't call it F... You call it Fuckboy Island. Because when my um, album came out, I wanted to name it Fun Cunt. And they were like, listen, <laughs> you're not going to be able to promote it. And so I named it something else. But it's like, it's annoying to be like, F... That's not how we talk. This is grown-ups having sex. Call it Fuckboy or call it something else. <laughs> um, Alyssa, what do you consider good reality TV and what do you consider bad? Like, have you categorized these things in your mind? You know, I know it when I see it. Um, <laughs> like hardcore no, pornography. I need to hear a couple things. I need some storylines that are enduring mm-hmm. throughout, right? Which I think is why I like the marriage-based ones because, like, there's a point to the end. And there's, like, like in, in – um, in Bachelor, you start losing your favorite people. Sometimes that's hard for me when they get voted off. Mm, and then I'm mm-hmm. like, then I don't respect whoever the Bachelor or Bachelorette is. I'm like, you just kicked off the best person. Mm-hmm. But I think that when they, when it's so obvious that they have casted for conflict, um, th- it's just repellent. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm going to draw lines in the sand, I think that's where I'm like, oh, come on. You brought this like racist girl Mm -hmm. and you made her friends with a black woman and now you're going to reveal that she's racist and it's like Mm -hmm. I feel manipulated at that point Mm -hmm. and uh mostly yeah I need a storyline I need some kind of heart 
you know, there needs to be some sort of heart in the show. I think that's also kind of why I like 90 Day Fiance. Because you <laughs> definitely have the people who should not be together. Yeah. But then you have the people like Jenny and Sumit who, I mean, she should dump him by now at this point. But you really oh, felt like they were boy. fighting for love. Yeah. I yeah. Oh, boy, Jenny. I, whenever I'm in Palm Springs, I'm like, should I go find her? I want to talk to her. <laughs> find, her kid, find her daughter and her partner and be like, get your mom oh, back yeah. here. He, we will crowdfund for her to come back. Yeah, so she yeah. Can, <laughs> She can leave India at this point. On, but. Co- on competition shows, when someone clearly is the loser and they're left on because they're good TV, yeah. that really pisses me off. It's like, they made the worst thing. They got to go. I don't care that their hair is cool. Get them out of here. Oh, and someone gets sun Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. That, I mean, God, I've been rewatching so much stuff. It's really bad. But <laughs> I've been rewatching America's Next Top Model. And first of all, those first, like, three seasons Cycles. Are, so I'm, oh, my God. I'm... Honestly, so embarrassed. I said seasons. <laughs> <laughs> the first four cycles of that show are like one of the most riveting television, but so deeply problematic. Like the like, racism, the, yeah. sexism, the eating disorders. Yeah. The, the way they talk about eating disorders. Adrian Curry gets sexually harassed on camera, and Tyra Banks is like, you got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, mm. it's. It's so wild, and that's a type of show where they are keeping this one, like, there's this one girl on, like, season two who was like, I'm from Alabama, and, like, I've never met a gay person, and is like, I'm not racist, but I wrote in my journal that I hate black people. And then, like, they just, like, keep leaving her on the show and leaving her on, leaving her on, leaving her on, and she's clearly the worst model. I mean, it makes <laughs> <And> more sense. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so- in person, in person. But they keep keeping her around. And I remember being like, this is so fucked up. I can't believe we're just allowing this to happen on television and that we are consuming it as entertainment. It's like, it's it, you kind of like have like a real mind fuck. Like, why am I watching this? But also, how is this happening? And America's Next Top Model is just such a perpetuator of that. It's so terrible, but so entertaining. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if uh, Chanda... Do you think that uh, sexism is part of reality TV's DNA? Like, can it be, can the sexism inherent in the spectacle of reality TV ever really be, be, be teased out? Yeah, so I, I, I've been thinking about this in the context of the original Seattle season of The Real World, um, mm-hmm. which I also actually happen to be living in Seattle a few blocks away from the last season. So I, I want to be really clear about the difference, basically <laughs> two different cities, two different Seattles. Um, but you know, there was that whole incident with, with I, was it David and, not Ruthie, I can't remember her name, but Irene, 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 Irene. Yes. Irene. the slapping and incident, Steven. right? And how seriously that yeah. was taken by production, that it became a thing, everybody had to talk about it. He was asked to leave. And then fast forward, um, recently I watched all of the seasons of Are You the One over like the winter break. Oh, wow. And the contrast when a similar incident occurred that the person was allowed to stay. And actually there's lots of sort of dynamics that those sorts of things like they understood were not okay in the early 90s, mid 90s that are now actually what the show is aiming for. So things that they used to kick Mm -hmm, you off the show for mm -hmm. are what the show is there to do in some sense. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think that that, a lot of that hinges on 
I am playing with misogyny and and playing with with racism and and using that to effect and basically turning racism into like um you know entertainment or turning sexism into mm -hmm. entertainment and I think all of that really comes down to um what 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 do we think is permissible? It's weird actually to be talking about like actually in the 90s it was the good old days when people actually cared about sexism in reality right. TV. <laughs> and now like mm -hmm. now that we're in this like huge feminist moment, I mean we also just had, mm -hmm. you know, a, a misogynist reality star as president. And so right. mm -hmm. I, I don't know what to make of that. Alyssa tell me what to make of that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's very confusing. <laughs> I mean, especially but I guess it also is like, do we all have our own definitions of what reality television is, right? Like I would say in the beginning, the Kardashians was reality TV. I would say towards the end, it was largely scripted. Mm -hmm. I mean, like it was at least staged. They knew what was, it wasn't like, it's like The Bachelor, that's maybe I guess why <laughs> Not to go back to 90 Day Fiance, but it's kind of what I like about it a little bit more is that it doesn't feel as much like a game show. It feels mm -hmm. like, you know, an actual story that you're sort of watching unfold, which is so many of the other things that we see, which is what makes when they have these moments of like staged misogyny or sexism it's like you know this isn't something that came out of someone's mouth by accident and maybe they didn't mean it or you know <laughs> they they this is like what they're it's like exactly John what you're saying it's like it's what they're aiming for and Trump I mean I never saw his show mm -mm. as like a reality show it was a game show mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he's certainly not nimble enough to have not been scripted I mean other mm -hmm. than saying you're fired but I think that people because it's so ubiquitous it's everywhere that we that we people don't realize that it wasn't even just a game show or a reality show it was like they think he was smart and came up with all that on his own which is you know mm. I mean I think I think I Thank you for explaining that, actually, because I think that that touches on, you know, just going back Thank to... Thank you, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> that touches on the thing that was bothering me about what happened with the real world, is that originally, you know, you identified, like, the show having heart as being important to capturing your attention. The show had heart, and it wasn't scripted, because they were literally just putting people in a house and then, like, you know, watching what happened. And then eventually they started scripting it by, like, giving them assignments. Um, and then we had, like, road rules, and then real world versus road rules and you're right it kind of moves um it turned reality tv into game show like almost that boundary disappears and it's interesting i had been thinking about the demarcation of like you know when do you need to have like sag after union represented people in front of the camera and when do you not have to care about the union rules which tells you something about my childhood in the labor movement but um, <laughs> I think you're right. There's a point at which, like, it crossed the line into everything is a game, and I think that that's why um, 90 Day Fiance is still kind of interesting. At least yeah. the original one. Some of the like later stuff where it's like now you're setting them up for drama. Right, right. But, yeah, I yeah. do have to say, in like the larger sense, they're all a game because they're all fighting for public opinion mm. to be on their side, and they're all also fighting to be able to have some semblance of a career or some mm. way to make money after they're on this show and if you alienate everybody you may be screwed I mean I guess we're in a place now where it's like 
cancel culture is just, you just shift to a different side. You know, like, Mm -hmm. if you get quote-unquote canceled, you'll be welcomed with open arms by somebody. And then that's your demo. I think with sexism, that's why something like the housewives is so interesting. It started as these women that were like supposedly married to rich men and the and the husbands are non-existent. Like totally. New York, there's no husbands. They they all <laughs> they all make money. Um and and in a lot of cases, the husbands now make so much less money because their wives are on this show. And you get to see the power dynamic. There's a husbander on Potomac right now. And people were, like, asking her, oh, my God, are you worried that your husband is being emasculated because you are the breadwinner? Mm-hmm. And so that's, like, you've really seen that evolve over the course of its time on the air. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking – so speaking of, like, sexism – I just have to ask, like, when are we going to get queer people on any of the American iterations of these Mm -hmm. shows? I mean, like, The Bachelor kind of experimented with it. And she's actually back this season on Paradise. And, yes. Mm-hmm. Demi, right? Yeah, Demi. Demi oh, but yeah, Demi. She's it's great. not clear that they put another like queer woman in the group. So mm-hmm. she might just still be kind of like the one, like, um, you know, wild card or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is sort of... As someone who sometimes watches Dutch television, I've been sort of intrigued <laughs> by the, the differences here. Like, um, and also looking at Married at First Sight in the Netherlands, yeah. Married at First Sight mm-hmm. in Australia, Australia, and the United, Sta- United States, that in the United States, people of color can be on the show. In Australia, Asian people of color can be on the show. And in the Netherlands... Gay, gay people can be on the show, but not people of color. That seems mm. to be kind of, but each, there's, there's a real reflection there um, that like the homophobia in, mm-hmm. in American reality TV is really intense. Yeah, and so many of the viewers are gay men. Yeah, Um, Yeah. things like Bravo. You know, like that is the the demo. And as a viewer, I would love to see a gay bachelor. I would Mm -hmm. love to see a a a gay housewife. You know, like I would I would love and and I'm or their own thing. You know, like we don't just have to put them into the straight. Give them their own version and I don't I don't understand so many of the people that work in the development are gay men too well I was gonna say like so New York Housewives had a friend of who was like a bi woman and she was received horribly by the women it was like the most homophobic like season it was just wild to see these I mean I wouldn't Half of them are not liberal at all. They're very conservative Trump supporters. But, like, you know, they're on this network. They're on this show that has such a huge following of gay men, especially, that they just weren't even – the fact that they weren't even, like, oh, I'm not worried about how I'm going to look treating this woman like shit and, like, literally being, like, oh, she's bi. That's that's weird. She dresses like a man. It's, it's like, things you can't believe people are saying on television in 2021. And I think – What's so shocking about that, especially with Bravos, you would think like the people behind the camera are intervening in some way, but they're Mm-mm. just letting it play out. They're and, giving them the rope. You yeah, know. And it's like again, um, what you guys were talking about earlier, it's like we're watching this for our like, we're watching this really horrible situation on play and it's for entertainment. And <laughs> at what point is it are you like, I can't keep yeah. watching this? I mean to to just to jump in, I would 
I would say just the other side of that, and I'm not going to say devil's advocate because I'm not like being a dick because that's <laughs> that means I'm about to be a dick. Um, but I think that sometimes maybe the idea behind it is exposing racism as something that a villain does or exposing sexism as something that a villain does can kind of help people hold a mirror up to themselves and understand that when they are espousing those beliefs that they're doing something that looks ridiculous to other people. I think it's sort of like funhouse mirrors these bad uh th- these bad qualities that a lot of people have and it makes it 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 presents it like look at this this is unappealing look at this this is what bad people do this is a bad person this is you know this is wrong um and i would say on the when it comes to queer people on reality tv um i grew up in a really small town and i never knew any gay people but i feel like through watching like the real world and watching like reality tv shows i did feel like i knew some gay people so i think like we're coming at this talking about like who is, you know, who's on TV, who who gets to speak as people who are probably surrounded by a lot more diversity and a lot more queer people than is shown on TV. But I think if you take a look at places like where I came from, places like where Alyssa lives, like they're not necessarily surrounded you know, by as many people uh, of color or people who are LGBTQAI than as we are. So I think, you know, it's sort of like speaks to the divide in America right now that like we can watch from, you know, being college educated people who care a lot about this stuff and be like, you know, this doesn't really match with my experience. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there, there are so many of the people who are watching it in red states who don't see that this matches with their experience in the other direction, if mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I guess I, I, I have to say, though, I'm watching as a queer person who wants to see my queer life reflected in these shows. Mm-hmm. And I'm not mm-hmm. seeing that. Queer people are sidekicks in, mm-hmm. in these shows mm-hmm. for, for the most so part. So what, would a, what and, would a queer bachelor or bachelorette have? Mm-hmm. Like, how would that look to you if you wanted to see your experience reflected on the show? Yeah, I mean, so actually, and now, of course, my mind is blanking on this, but there's actually, like, an Instagram version of, um, like, there's, like, I think it's called Batch Queer that you can actually find on Instagram that's basically doing a a queer bachelor. Um, And I think that there's so much possibility, which is, one, that you have to disrupt these norms of everybody is the same gender identity Mm -hmm. um, in, in the group. And then you have to deal with the dynamics of... Um, your plot line is no longer about different masculinities clashing with each other um, because it's not just masculinity that's that's in the conversation in the in the group dynamics. And so I think that that's something that I would like to see disrupted as like a, a gender queer person. Right. Um, and then I think the other thing is, is that when, for example, racism has occurred within like the Bachelor universe or even really in the Real Housewives universe, mm-hmm. that um, it's usually like, oh, that person made a mistake, but they're not a bad person. I don't mm. actually think we get to the, the bad person. We get like Kyle screaming about how she's not really a racist and her husband's a Mexican, basically, right? Mm. Um, so we don't, we don't actually get that, that narrative and, and that judgment. And I think at the end of the day... I want to be careful about framing like storytelling about queer love or black love, for example, as being a performance for white Americans who need to see us as human beings, Mm -hmm. right? 
Um, and rather as like we need to see ourselves reflected in, in the culture that we consume and that we make possible through our consumption. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a great thought to end this segment on. This was such a smart conversation about something that gets unfairly characterized as dumb. Um, so let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we are all going to talk about our favorite and most iconic reality TV personalities. Beyonce, Katanji Brown Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, The Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color founded companies. For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life. Maybe that's yourself to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. And welcome back. We have almost reached the end of the show, but not quite the end of the show. We are going to, instead of doing Sanity Corner or uh, Hill I'll Die On or I Feel Petty, we're going to talk about iconic reality stars. I'll go first. Um, I think about this moment in reality TV at least weekly. Um, There is a song that accompanies this moment that I sing at my husband sometimes to troll him. Uh, And that is the moment on the real world New Orleans when David went into the sound booth to record his song, Come On Be My Baby Tonight. Uh, It is a jam. It has become a real moment in reality history. David from the real world New Orleans was an iconic reality show character because he was confident he was really easy to look at he had his 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 own way of going through life and he did not care what other people thought about him and that show or that that song was like the crowning moment of of david just being the most david and i i really loved watching him and i love that song uh and it lives on it lives on um so that's mine uh Alyssa, do you want to go next yeah you guys i will never forget when I watched it in real time, it's with me, like Aaron said, forever. I think about it probably every week. When Teresa Judice <laughs> decides to flip that table as she screams, Caroline, I get this wrong sometimes, but I believe it's son of a prostitution whore. Just, no, just prostitution, prostitution whore. Okay, great. And she just flips a table, flips a table at a family function. And mm-hmm. it's great because you know what? I felt it. I felt it was Mm. real. I felt Mm -hmm. she was pissed. And she, up to that point, was my favorite character. So it just (laughs) seemed right. But that there are many moments that have come since. But that one is just uh, goes into the iconic category. Yeah. Table flipping is in the lexicon now. It is fully in the lexicon. Like, literally, Mm -hmm. if you Google table flip, it comes up. (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Megan, you want to go next? 
Yeah, so I am going to go non-housewives for this because I think um, the biggest jackpot a reality star can hit is a spinoff. Um, and so I am going with Tiffany Pollard, New York, um, because she started on Flavor of Love, <laughs> so iconic, just like truly took over that show to the point that they were like, we have to give her her own dating show and she needs to find love. And then I believe she had a talk show to like, she just keeps working. <laughs> she keeps reinventing herself. She really cracks me up. Um, and she's just burned, burned in my memory and burned in my heart forever. Oh, she is. She is great. Also, um, Chanda, I'm going to have to go with Pedro Zamora. Um, mm. I, I was in the process when he was on air of, of losing someone who was there when I was born to, to complications associated with, with AIDS. And I think that Pedro saved lives. I don't, I don't think there's mm -hmm. any other way to put it. Um, including, you know, motivating people to focus on the research that is bringing us the vaccines that we're getting now. Um, I just think Pedro lives in all of us who are getting mRNA vacc vaccinations right now, actually. Um, so I think he's iconic in the impact that he had on the culture, politically, on, on science, and um, even in showing us the power of reality TV to not just be a total trash bin, um, but to actually be an important platform, which I think nobody learned that lesson, but it's still out there in case anybody wants it. <laughs> yeah, and there, he's inspired like books. I think Judd, who was also in mm -hmm. uh, on that season, went went on to be like a really successful comic book artist, and he wrote a book about his time with Pedro. And like Pedro is definitely still something that uh, lives on culturally, and so that's like probably the most cool like reality TV show like remnant that continues on through culture and like it's super cool that it existed that early in the life of the real world. Um, Caroline, you want to okay, go? Okay, well, fuck. Mine after that is. <laughs> I felt for you that whole time, Caroline. <laughs> I'm like, oh, should I change mine? <laughs> um, no, I'm going to follow my heart. And my heart says Luann Delaseps from New wow. York City. <laughs> and it is Luann because she gives us one-liners that, Megan, I know you feel to be scripted, but I feel come from the heart. And it's, she, it's her saying words that are just regular words, but when she says it, it's just like something different is happening. Like someone's accusing her of being uncool, and she just goes, not really. But like the way she talks, it's just like so wild. And... She brought me one of the most fun nights of my life was when I went to her cabaret show in Los Angeles, and I was about seven martinis deep and the most sober person there. And <laughs> I was just surrounded by people who were equal, like who were on the same level of just being obsessed with this woman. And she was like an angel who was beamed down to earth. And she just was so funny and... <laughs> She was so funny. She sang her song. I mean, you would have thought it was like the Beatles coming out. Like the community she's created around her is so much fun. And I love being a part of it that I can't say anyone but Luann. And she did give us feeling Joe Biden. Wait, okay, Megan. Wait, really quick, really quick. 
You know, she stole that from me. <gasps> All right. I, I posted no, I posted that on Instagram stories, uh, <laughs> feeling Joe Biden with my dog dancing. She then reposted it, deleted it, posted her being like feeling Joe Biden, <gasps> then reposted what? my story. Scandal. It's wow. crazy that you like what? this bitch. It's crazy that you like this. <laughs> yeah. Her. She, she stole Levine. from you. Savon, Savon, you know? Are you okay? I just... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! You re- you you remember like a few years ago when people would tell people who loved celebrities would express their fandom by saying, "I want so and so to run me over with their car." Mm-hmm. Like Caroline, Shh. you being like, "I forgive you got run over. for stealing." She can steal my husband. That's fine. yeah. You basically <laughs> let her run she you will. over with her car. <laughs> um, she will come to your wedding and fuck your husband in front of you. And you'll be fine <laughs> right. with it. You'll be fine with it. Everyone will be fine with it because we are letting go of monogamy, guys. We are not. Yes. <laughs> um, Alyssa, Megan, Chanda, and Caroline, thank you so much for joining me. That's all the time we have this week on a special holiday week episode. There will be more hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Narmel Konian and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. Hysteria. 